Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes. We hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us the behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you, man. Let's get this thing going. Always a pleasure, fellas. I always look forward to today. Yeah, oh, let's... that's way too nice for us, bro. <laughs> it's all, it's always better to, to have this after an Ohio State win specifically a big Buckeye win. Um, there is this running theme of scoring 50-plus against Wisconsin that I mentioned last week, and right on the dot we scored 56 points. Um, probably could have scored 100 the way the first few, <laughs> first half of that game looked, um, but it was good to see our offense clicking, uh, to see the utilization of all of our weapons on offense as well as our defense standing up to the test because specifically on the offensive side of the wall, the ball, um, we were told that Wisconsin's defense was going to be a true test for our offense. And at least um, as much of the game as I saw, I saw the first three quarters had to leave for the, the fourth. It looked like we were checking all of the boxes. Zach, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was a an outstanding performance, right? I don't, I, I think Wisconsin's down from what they have been, um, and and so it, you take it for what it's worth, right? Like mm -hmm. it was a dominant win, over first Big Ten game, really, really good to see and witness. And I think what I kind of the the theme of when they play these games, right? Like when Ohio State goes to play Michigan State, Michigan State's down, but there's still something we can learn from them, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not going to be a competitive game, or or they're not in contention of winning the game. The three things that I noticed, right, is there was three issues after last year. When you walked out of the year, you're like, why didn't Ohio State win, right? Number one was the defense. Number two was the offensive line. And number three was the red zone offense. And I think what the first four games have showed us is that Ryan Day is, is going to be a phenomenal head coach, like a Hall of Fame head coach, because he identifies problems and fixes them. And a lot of coaches don't, right? You look at Mark mm -hmm. D'Antonio at Michigan State. He had it rolling. And then a bunch of issues came up, and he just never would address them or fix them, right? And that's been a theme for a lot of coaches. But you look at where, where Ohio State is now. They're the third best red zone offense in the country. Whereas last year, they were in the bottom you know, quarter of the country. The yeah. offensive line has been unbelievable. That game was the most dominant game by an offensive line I think I've seen at Ohio State in 10 years. I mean, it was just they just kicked their ass up and down the field. Yeah, and I mean, then the, the defense obviously is much improved. The running game was insane right off the bat. Um, I noticed that red zone thing as well. Like just watching the game, I was just like honestly just very impressed with how consistent we were in the red zone. I I think the we, was it like the first five were all touchdowns in the red. Yeah, I mean like, they, they... it was absurd, man. Like I've I've never seen an Ohio State team you know, execute to that level. But I agree with you. I, I do think it starts at the offensive line and the success of the run game, as we as we talked about in earlier weeks. And it's like an amazing thing to see Ryan Day start to shift the game plan in that way, like seeing the offense evolve over the season. 
was something I think like I was a little hesitant at the beginning of the, of the year. I'm obviously a huge Ryan Day stan, but uh, you know, I've I've done a few battles on Twitter trying to defend his name and uh, you know, I started doubting a little bit. But it was cool to see this evolution. Like I, I just haven't seen that from him since he's taken over as head coach. Yeah, here's the here's the yeah, there's, here's there's the, no doubt. I mean Go ahead, B. Oh yeah, I said here's the reality, right? Like we you brought up a great point, Zach, about how he's willing to adapt and change. We've kind of beat a dead horse over the last couple of years of all the disadvantages of his lack of experience lack of pedigree, but I think there's something that's done to a lot of coaches when they actually win that builds a level of hubris that's like, I know what's best all the time. And like you said, as the CEO of this business, Ryan Day has done a great job of adjusting probably because he hasn't, he came in in this job without having won a national championship before with having coached as a head coach from 10 years, it gives him the opportunity to actually have the humility to say, this is an area we need to improve on. It's not the area that I'm best at. So let me bring in the people that I need to bring in. He made some mistakes early on with his coaching hires, bringing in experience. I think he was like, it worked for urban. So let me bring all those guys back. But now he's <laughs> he's he's doing what's best for the program and looking at this thing objectively and learning on the job. That was my point, Zach, and you can you can take it from there. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you you he he brought in uh, like well, he Urban brought in Greg Sirabo, who who honestly leveled up the recruiting and the talent pool. I mean, you look at this offensive line that Justin Fry took over. There's NFL players everywhere, and mm-hmm. people give Greg Sirabo a hard time, like he was a bust as a coach and like just a mistake. He wasn't a mistake. R- Justin Fry, I think, is a better offensive line coach and is getting more out of them. But but Greg did a great job of bringing in talent that Ed Warner couldn't bring in. He just couldn't mm-hmm. recruit, and Greg could to an extent. Right. But it still wasn't Ohio State standard. So he brings in Justin Fry. They're the number one offensive line in in the Big Ten. They've only allowed two sacks through four games. The number two offensive line in the Big Ten at almost six yards per carry. So by all accounts, this was a home run hire. Now we got to see if Justin can recruit at an elite level because he just got here. And, you know, it takes a couple years to figure that out. But it's just it's good to see that he made the right decisions. This defense has been outstanding. I mean, just Tommy Eichenberg's development development alone has been insane. And then, I mean, they're, they're 32nd in America at four and eight, 4.8 yards per play. So what used to be in the 80th ranked defense is now pushing the top 25. And I've said all year or all off season, they only need a top, top 25 <laughs> defense. All this talk in the off season by Jim Knowles, that they're looking to be a top five defense. It's like, yeah, we get it in time. Let's just be a top 25 defense and we got a chance to win it all this year. That's all we need. I mean, and the and, and those numbers are swayed a little bit too when you look at these teams that have the offensive firepower that Ohio State has and how quickly we score. Our defense is on the field a lot. So I looked at that 21 point 21 points that they scored. I was like, the way that our system is built, if our defense holds an opponent to 21 points, our offense should win every single game, right? So that's how I look oh, at it, no and, and I agree with you fully. Getting to a top five defense is going to be challenging, considering that, right? But it's night and day just in terms of the attitude on defense. Like, our linebackers didn't even seem to, like, 
understand what their roles were and what their their role within the philosophy of the defense is. And just by shifting that, having guys have the ability and the responsibility to attack the ball, attack, 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 you're seeing the difference in linebacker play. It seemed like our linebackers were very passive and reactionary over the last few years. And just by making that shift to being the aggressor, you're seeing the difference from just having the type of physical talent that we have through the recruits that we are getting. Yeah, Yeah. there's no doubt. And you look at, you know, the national landscape, which is what Ohio State is now. Like, we can talk about the Big Ten, and there's certain conversations to be had, but it's about the national landscape. And, And everyone, since last year ended, has Alabama, Ohio State on a crash course. And I think this is where Ohio State is still a little bit behind. I mean, this they obviously, they were down their top three corners, down Lathan Ransom, who's probably been their best safety in the game against Wisconsin. But Alabama plays a similar style, right? They put up 55 against Vandy, 63 against UL Monroe, 20, a close game to Texas, which which is a little different. Um, and then they blew out US, Utah State, and they have the number one defense in the country. So I think that's where Ohio State can still level up. Yeah. One, when they get healthy, and two, as they improve within this scheme, is they can truly be a dominant defense because the offense is going to come along. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, from a health standpoint, I, I do think, like, in recent memory, this is the first time we've had so many folks injured at the beginning of the season. I can't remember a time where so many key players were out. Um, do you think with yeah, – we also have, like, a very weak Big Ten this year. Um, you know – does that create any concerns for you, Zach, in terms of like the challenges that we have in front of us that we could get blindsided, whether, you know, it's against Michigan, whether it's, you know, the Big Ten Championship? Like, are there opportunities where, you know, we, we're just not getting the kind of reps that we need to get in an actual game scenario to be ready for that level of competition? Well, that, that's that's part of what Ryan, that's his job, right, is because you go play Michigan State who's down or this week we play Rutgers, right? You got to make sure you don't slip up and lose a game you're not supposed to but it's about the development of your team in practice because Ohio State's offense is going up against a really good defense every day right so just the fact that on Saturday they might play an inferior opponent as long as they're doing the right things on Tuesday and Wednesday to continue to push and develop this team in practice they're going up against NFL football players every day Hmm. so it's it's when the head coach makes a decision to pull off a little bit and maybe not go ones on ones ever that's when you're like that's when you see a team slip up and they lose to a team they shouldn't because they're just they're not getting better during the week and i know ryan won't do that this year yeah, yeah fair enough fair enough I, I really enjoyed what he said last week which is you know we haven't imparted our will on our opponents yet and seeing what happened in the toledo game and this wisconsin game you're seeing it's it's great when a coach says stuff like that, right? But you're seeing that the players are responding to that in how they're playing the game. And that means that Ryan really has control over this locker room, which is critical, right? Because it's hard as a 18, 19 year old kid with all of the things that are happening on and off the field. You having to be a student, have a social life, um, and and also your coach trusting your coach's word. The fact that they've responded the way that they have also um, is a tip of the cap to Ryan Day. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no doubt. And so I think you know my my big thing that I do every week is I try to be the voice of reason, right? Like because mm-hmm. I think everyone knows my I, the most of my ties and closest friendships and relationships are at Ohio State. I don't really care that Ohio State wins a national championship, but I do care that those people win a national championship because I think they're capable. So every week I try to be like the 
the voice of reason. Like, listen, yeah. here's what needs to improve to make that happen, right? Yeah. And the way when I look at this team, the biggest question mark I have still on the offensive side of the ball is can they be an the best offense in the country. I'm talking hitting deep balls, scoring touchdowns because this, the run game has been outstanding, but there's not been a lot of home runs, right? Yeah. The pass game has, was really good against Wisconsin against mostly zone coverage. And CJ yeah. Stroud was, again, he was zero for three on deep balls. And I think as much as people don't want to talk about it, he's feeling the effects of not having Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And I know there's these kids with names. I think Emeka Buka and Kate Stover were played outstanding. And Julian Fleming played well. Marvin Harrison Jr. still has to show me that he can get open against man coverage, which he didn't really get the chance. But I think that's the one glaring thing that we need to see. We need to see this pass game go out against man coverage and these receivers be who they were hyped up to be all offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, on on the Marvin Harrison Jr. point, um, I saw on Twitter, Zach, you were interacting with the guy who, uh, who made the cleats. I just thought it was so funny. We just talked about wearing chains and stuff during games last week. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. comes out with the Apple watch on and, and the Louis Vuitton cleats. But also I saw that the guy designing the cleat, uh, is that a former player? I just wanted to show yeah. some love. Yeah. It, this Mitchell. is a great story. So his name's Cato Mitchell. His company's called work the customs. And he used to, he was a walk on receiver that played for me at Ohio state. And he used to, uh, on Thursdays, you know, we're, we're getting ready for a game. He wasn't probably going to play. And so he would always ask, could he skip? This is his last year. He would ask, can I skip the meeting? I want to draw this thing. So every day at practice, he would draw this incredible caricature on, on athletic tape, cut it wow. out and put it on his helmet for practice on Thursday. And it became a thing like urban. We'd be on the field and he'd start to jog out. And he'd be like, Cato, what we got? Let me see. You know, it became a thing with the team where they wanted to see what did Cato draw? I mean, he drew like, we, we played Notre Dame in, in, uh, or in the bowl game, and he drew Notre Dame's logo with a Santa hat on, like all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Just a very talented kid. And he turned it into, he started customizing shoes. And it even went as far as, and I helped, I donated to it. He, he asked, you know, all of his followers, could you donate money to send me to this like shoe school? And it was like a weekend clinic where he learned how to make shoes, like actually make Air Force Ones or whatever out of leather, like you buy the leather wow all that. And he makes, so he's unbelievable. He's done four pairs of shoes for my kids. He, and he does, he's ridiculous at it. Um, and he's only gotten better. He actually did the table that I'm, he pay, I built the table, but he did the graphic that's on my table in my studio. So wow. unbelievably talented kid. And really, really cool to see a kid leverage his experience as a Buckeye into a company, like into money. Yeah. He's yeah. really, really, he's that's really, fantastic. really, he's really, really talented. Hopefully Nike doesn't crush his dreams and hopes because I, the thing that I was worried about is the Louis V element of it. I was like, Oh man, yeah, they might, they might have a headache from Nike yeah. coming, but it's just really cool. Um, I don't, I still agree with you, Zach. Sometimes it's like, it's cool. Do whatever you have to do. But the whole Nike watch thing, I was just like, okay, you better perform. That's really it. As long as you perform, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you wear, whatever you need to do to get, get motivated. It's fine so long as it doesn't take away from your your production on the field or on the practice field, right? Yeah, the Apple Watch thing's a whole another thing. I think that's just stupid. You you could get hurt. I mean, you could you somebody could, yeah. gets hit with that thing, that, and you're gonna break an expensive ass watch. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. it's all, it's all that nil money, man. It's all it's, uh, these kids are getting spoiled, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. Now, at the he's same got the time, Louis, Louis V cleats on in as a college. His dad is Marvin Harrison, so he's wealthy. So there's there's there's, there's no there's, doubt. <laughs> yeah. like, they were real ones. He could afford them, right? Yeah. 
Now, now listen, had he scored a touchdown and then as he, as the celebration went up to the camera and showed like somebody tweeting at him about the touchdown, all time, the best touchdown celebration yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. That, that would have been iconic. And that Nike doesn't mind it. As, as happens. Him. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And I was, I was just going to say, as it happens, whenever somebody, you know, tries to do something flashy, unfortunately, you know, we didn't really see it. We didn't see him do anything. He brought a lot of attention on himself. Right. <laughs> I mean, Nike doesn't care about That's the Apple it. Watch because he was wearing the Nike band, so they probably enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's funny, too, because for that position, right, there's so much there's so much hand action going on with the corners and stuff. Like, I can't believe that watch didn't get ripped off at some point. Well, it's it's funny because two things: one, that they allowed him to do it, but two, Garrett Wilson wore an Apple Watch several times last year, so oh, really? it's not like it's, it's just the first time it got publicized. And if you didn't notice, they made him change those shoes at halftime once it became a big deal because Nike contacted the equipment guy during the game and said, "Hey, this kid has to wear Nike shoes. What do you, what are we doing?" So they oh, made him change wow. shoes in the middle of the game. I did not even notice that, but I oh mean, yeah, the damage was the damage was done. It was I mean, done. They, it was they done. can't. I, they Nike can't. They me. can't find him. He's not an NFL player, so he doesn't have to worry about a fine. <laughs> no. So he's good. Right. <laughs> no, but 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 V, if he had an NIL deal with Nike, I bet they could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if he, I, and I mean, does he even? Yeah. Uh, what an interesting question. I'm sure we'll learn more in the next <laughs> week or so as things come out. How um, crazy! I wanted to move our attention to. Oh, I, I just want to move our attention to um, one of the other games that happened this weekend that um, I thought just really uh, stood out. And you had been talking about this one a lot, Zach, but it was the Florida Tennessee game much closer, honestly, than I, than I thought it was going to end up. Um, but your, uh, your pick Tennessee ended up prevailing. Uh, what was your take on this? And is, is Florida underrated? Is Tennessee overrated? Or was it just like a rural no. tight game? So Florida is not underrated. I mean, I was pretty high on Florida after their Utah win. And then, and then, AR 15 went out against Kentucky and looked horrendous, but so it's, it's, it's inconsistent quarterback play, right? When he's on and he was on in the Tennessee game, they're a really good football team. When he's off, they're absolutely terrible. Yeah. So it's just, it's what, what Anthony Richardson are you going to get? That's the, that's the question. And and Tennessee got the best version of him. Yeah, they got um, the Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson version. <laughs> right. Mixed with Troy Aikman and Bart Starr and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the reality in this game, though, Hendon Hooker is becoming everything I talked about all offseason. And He's it was pure beast, projection. Man. I didn't know he would, but I had a I had a feeling because I watched him play last year and he 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 was close, right? I watched him play against Georgia and he he was a competitor. And you watch him in this game, 22 of 28, 350 yards, two passing touchdowns, ran for a hundred yards, one rushing touchdown. I mean, just perfect three for three on deep balls. He completed versus base defense. He completed 94% of his passes. Like I really think this kid with what they do offensively, if he can beat either Alabama or Georgia, he's going to be in New York city. He might not win the Heisman, but he's going to be there. That's a, that's a good point, man. I mean, would they, would they have the possibility to do that? Is this Tennessee team, you know, upset capable? Oh, they're absolutely, they're, they're one of the teams that I think, they're the only team I think that could upset one of those two. I, I don't think it's possible that they they actually beat both of them. But I mean, if if you really look at it, right? You look at how the schedules are laid out. Like Alabama has a hell of a hell of a stretch before going to Tennessee. Like Alabama goes to Arkansas this week, 
coming off a missed field goal away from being 4-0. Then yeah. they have to play A&M at home, and then they have to go to Tennessee. That is a tough three-game stretch mm-hmm. for any team. I don't care who you are. That's a yeah. tough three games. And Tennessee has – let me uh, let me double-check. Tennessee, I think, has a bye week before they play Bama. Yeah. And so you're looking at it like, man – that, or maybe not. I don't actually, maybe they don't. I, but either way, that's a tough three game stretch for Bama. And then you look at Georgia, Georgia's got a cakewalk. Now they ha- they get Tennessee at home. So that's a, a, a little better, but I think Georgia's the weaker of the two teams. So I, I honestly am, am circling the Alabama at Tennessee game as an upset special for sure. Wow. Yeah. And, and interestingly to support that, like when you watch Tennessee and you see them on the field from a talent standpoint, it doesn't it's they don't have a talent issue they have the big boys they have elite athletes on that field that can compete with the other elite sec teams this isn't this isn't just like some team that sprouted up out of nowhere even in these down years tennessee has been able to continue to attract pretty good talent Um, and you see those guys on nfl fields it's just there's been a lot of other issues that i think has led to the downtrend in Tennessee football. And it would be good to see them kind of resurrect themselves um, this year and pull off some upsets and show that the SEC isn't just a two, a two school conference anymore. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And you know, you, you see it every year, you see it when Alabama drops a game they shouldn't last year, like teams, no matter how good they are, the SEC is good enough that one of these teams can pop somebody that you don't expect. And I mean, yeah. that game, that Florida team was the best version of the F- Florida I've seen all year on film and Tennessee beat them without their best offensive we- weapon in Cedric Tillman. So when with Cedric Tillman on the field, that's an even heightened version of what we watch. So I, I think they're more than capable of beating either team. And closing yeah, time, I mean, I, closing time was be. big. Closing time was big. How they closed that game was really impressive to me. It was tight all the way but then Tennessee took control of the game and won it. So um, yeah. let's let's talk about another one that, you know, we called it last week. We, we thought it was going to be close. Uh, Maryland versus uh, Michigan. Um, a lot closer, honestly, than I thought it was going to end up. Uh, I saw Maryland was up for the first half. This was a little early for me to watch. So I was sleeping during it. But uh, – what what did you guys what did you guys see out of this and does it change your opinion on you know Michigan? Well, it doesn't change my opinion. I mean, I I think Maryland's one of the best offenses in the Big Ten, and I think they're they're going to cause problems for Ohio State, especially if they don't get their secondary healthy. I mean, you look at what Maryland did; they should have won this game. They turned the ball over three times, and you can't do Man. that and beat a good team like Michigan. So I think Maryland's better than than people thought. And honestly, Tuilea played probably his worst game. I mean, he was 0 for 5 on deep balls with an interception on a shot play. And you just look at the rest of the game. I mean, they were they were 9 of 14 on third downs. Michigan was 50%, which isn't terrible. And I think J.J. McCarthy kind of showed that he has a lot of growth to do. He couldn't hit deep balls. That was, that was it. He was 1 for 8 on deep balls, so he couldn't connect with these receivers deep. But outside of that, this kid was, I mean, dynamic. He was 17 of 18 on all, any throw he made under 20 yards. So wow. outside of those 8 deep balls, he was 17 of 18. So I think it was just honestly two really good teams that played. And because Maryland turned it over three times and couldn't hit the deep ball, the result was the result. Yeah. My, my, my view, you know, I actually called the upset. That was actually hopeful, but I also thought that Maryland had a real shot to beat Michigan. And this is kind of my overall kind of evaluation of Michigan football. They are, 
moving backwards when the rest of the country is moving forwards in a lot of ways. They have a really, really strong running game and running back. He's a beast, one of the best in the country um, in quorum. But I'm I'm worried about in games against really dynamic teams like Ohio State. We shouldn't have lost to them last year. Um, how they to get to that level that Michigan wants to get back to, like you said, he he can't hit the deep ball. He's not making those big those big plays. What do you do when you face a dynamic team that's putting up a bunch of points against your team? How do you keep up with that in a with what feels like much more of a ball control systematic offense over there in Michigan? That's my concern. They're a very good football team, but are they elite? I don't think so. Well, the, the way they beat you is the way they beat Ohio State last year. Ohio State had a fraudulent defense, was soft up front, and C.J. Stroud wasn't a competitor. I mean, that's they, – they and I disagree. They absolutely should have beat Ohio State last year, and I and I predicted <laughs> I mean, it all year. Yeah. And I always I said, unless things change, Michigan is going to win, and nothing changed. So yeah. that, that's how they do it. I mean, hand the ball to Blake Corum 30 times. I mean, they have another running back who's dynamic that's going to come back from injury here in the next couple of weeks for 243 yards and just beat your ass up front. Now, if this Ohio State team is as tough as they seem, then it's going to be a dogfight. But yeah. that, that's that's their MO. That's what he did at Stanford, and that's what he got back to last year, and that's how they won games. The only time they can't win is when they all of a sudden go against Georgia, and Georgia just, in a fist fight, beats their ass. And that's yeah. what Ohio State's going to have to do. They're going to have to beat Michigan's ass in a fist fight. Yeah. By the way, that that Michigan game, uh, I'm actually going to likely be in town for that for Thanksgiving. So, Zach, if you're doing a tailgate, definitely going to stop by. So I'm I'm looking into it because they got long story, but they got a place in Dublin called the Bogey Inn. V, I know you. Yeah, I know the I know Bogey Inn. Come you on, know. come on. I know you do. I don't know if V knows the Bogey Inn. <laughs> uh, well, the Bogey Inn. Long story short, the owner of the Bogey Inn died, and so no one really owns it right now. It's like in oh. limbo. So I'm trying to get a contact because nothing's going on there, and I'm like, I'll pay someone, whoever's gonna own it or his estate or whatever i'll pay someone to throw an event there so i'm working yeah. on it v or partha mv if you want to come <laughs> yo and i actually may have gotten seats in the stadium for the game too because my dad Ooh. from teaching there still has his ticket stuff uh -oh. so my sister was very kind she's like an ohio state student right now doing a phd she's very kind to say you can go to the to the michigan <sighs> game for coming to ohio for thanksgiving so I hope not you're not that. asking for anything for Christmas from her. No, that's that's all I need for years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, fantastic situation. I'm very excited, but I agree. I think I think it's good to have a rival that is fucking tough. It makes you feel good as a fan. Yeah, it's it's almost like you we win, you know, you earned it, right? <laughs> it's almost like Michigan has flipped the script. They're operating like in trestle ball you know and we're playing yeah. we're, we're playing like a we're playing like a, a pac-12 big 12 team it's interesting to see how that has shifted and how those those cultures clash uh when we meet up you know the other big game you know i was a little disappointed in i felt like arkansas should have controlled and won that texas a&m game i felt like they choked it up choked it away they were up early 14-0 um, but over the last couple of weeks and a couple of tough battles, Texas A&M has pulled it out. Um, what is the, Was this more of a statement on Arkansas not being ready for big time, or is Texas A&M just took a tough loss and starting to, to hit a stride? Which, we, How did you see that game, uh, Zach? 
Well, I'm, you know, I, th- I think it, it honestly is just Texas A&M got shocked and they're just going to get better and better. And, and I mean, at the same time, you get an SEC West battle like that. Texas A&M is a good football team. They're not a great football team like some people projected, but it's still mm-hmm. a good football team. And you get down to the wire. Those, those good football games always come down to the wire, right? You look at Texas, Alabama, like two yeah. good football teams shouldn't be a blowout. And so they no. got down to it. Arkansas drove down, had a field goal attempt to win the game and missed it. I mean, yeah. that's what they did. And there's there's a number of reasons you know, inside the game that you could point to, to say, this is why they, or how they could have won or why they lost. But ultimately they drove down the field, had the opportunity to put points on the board and win the game. And the kid missed the field goal. Yeah. So it just, that's how big time football goes sometimes. So right. I think Arkansas is still what, what we all thought they were. We never thought they were going to be the sec West champion, but they're a formidable opponent for Alabama. And that's what matters. Yeah. And now t- as Texas A&M gets better and better, they might be also. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's just talk missed field goals. I have not seen this many missed field goals in my entire life as we've seen the last few weeks. Um, did you guys, I don't know if you got a chance to watch USC Oregon State. It was a very tough one to find because it was on the Pac-12 network, which nobody mm-hmm. watches. But I found it. And, uh, I mean, USC played horrible football during this game. Oregon State also had the opportunity to win this game, uh, missed a field goal, had pretty atrocious defense in the very end of the game and just choked it away. And it, you know, seeing that kind of a few times over, I want to ask you, Zach, like when you are at, you know, a, a strong program, like we're seeing like AM, for example, squeeze this one out. There, there's been a lot of teams that, you know, we've all wanted to see upset. I, Clemson comes to mind this week as well. I love seeing them lose and I wanted them to lose so bad against Wake. They're, they just squeeze these games out at the last second. Is that just a mental thing? Is that a stamina thing? Like it, it's happening too often for it to feel like chance with these teams that do have these strong reputations winning these tight games. Yeah, a lot of times it comes down to culture. When you get late in the game and you got to go win it, I mean, you think about the Penn State uh, comeback win in whatever year that was, 2016 or seven, whatever year it was. It, you have to have the culture, and these kids have to, one, know how to do it, and two, they get late in the game and it just becomes a resiliency thing. Like, n- there's no way I'm going to lose this game. Like, just that mentality and attitude and, and way you play the game where you go on the field and – there's the utmost confidence on the sideline. Like, I don't care what the score says. Like, we are absolutely not losing this game. And that was what Scott Frost's program at Nebraska never had, right? They just, every game, it was like, oh, we're definitely going to find a way to lose this game. <laughs> so it, it, it comes from culture and attitude. And that stuff's developed in the offseason. It's developed through training camp. And when you get in those adverse situations, certain teams just raise their level of play and find a way to go win it. And certain teams, you just know they're going to fumble it away. By, by hook or by crook like you're watching wake force clemson and you're like come on wake like you've been beating them all game but you yeah. just knew wake is gonna screw this up they are yeah the pressure the pressure of the reality i think overtime in college specifically exposes those situations if you're if you're a significant underdog in a game you don't want the game going to overtime because then it becomes a ment- the reality sets in like on both sides of the ball david starts feeling like david you know, and not like Goliath yeah. and Goliath starts feeling oh. like Goliath. There's no doubt because you look at the, the regulation, right. And it's a battle of momentum back and forth and, and you get caught in the like reeling or momentum going your way and it shifts and, and you get caught up in the game. And then when it ends a tie, everyone pushes reset and you start mm-hmm. over. 
So now any yeah. momentum, any mistakes, all that stuff's done. Now it's like, all right, it's zero, zero. Who's the better mm -hmm. team? And everyone yeah. kind of takes a deep breath and says, forget that, that game. We're playing a new game now. And that's what happens a lot of times. That's why you see underdogs when they tie it up, score a touchdown to tie it up as time expires. They're like, you know what? I'm going for two here because we go to overtime. It's going to be a bad deal. Yeah. So one, one game that I think went the opposite way of this trend um, that I did watch the entirety of, Kansas State, Oklahoma, a very surprising upset, but I mean, maybe not surprising to the OU fans that I know, uh, but, you know, Kansas State has had OU's number for a few years. Adrian Martinez came out, looked like a Heisman candidate. I mean, this dude was nuts and, you know, kind of single-handedly carried, carried Kansas State to a win, and we saw you know, this, this team that has a very defensively minded coach, uh, new head coach play some very, very atrocious defense. Um, you know, that was a surprise for sure. I mean, obviously part of building a new program, you know, year one, that sort of thing. But, um, I, I didn't honestly expect that game to go in that direction. And I was surprised by how good Kansas state looked during it. Well, you know what it comes down to, and, and this is where I'm still hesitant to call Ohio state's defense. Like, fixed because it's like a an abused dog right brett venables <laughs> comes in oklahoma has always collapsed on defense and yeah. no matter what he did for eight months trying to build this culture build this system it's like at some point you're just sitting there like what if this dog has a flashback to getting abused and just starts biting people you know what i mean like <laughs> that's still in their fibers of their body and it takes a while to get out and yeah. that's what happened to oklahoma on top of losing their, their Heisman quarterback, losing their best receiver, losing their best tight end of the transfer portal. It just – Oklahoma's been fraudulent, just like I'm saying – telling guys, Clemson is fraudulent also. Both yeah. of those teams are fraudulent, and Oklahoma got exposed. Yeah, yeah it's, fair it's, enough. It's, it, it's unfortunate overall. Panther, you mentioned earlier about the Pac-12. The other game that I watched, you know, sadly, was the Oregon State-Washington – I mean, Oregon-Washington State game. And I'm looking at this game and I'm watching it. I'm just like, Washington State, how do you choke this away? You've got the game in control. Your quarterback is playing phenomenally. But this is the Pac-12. It's like ugly. You don't watch good. You see a significant difference when you watch a Big 12 and a Pac-12 game. And when you watch a Big 10, even when the Big 10 is down, just the basics of football, it just seems like a lot of these teams in these conferences – just are playing a game in the backyard, but it's there's nothing much else there. And I honestly think that we need to start adjusting these rankings a little bit because Texas lost again as well um, this weekend to the Big 12 and Pac-12. You've got to earn your rights to be ranked in the top 15, top 25, because it just seems like they're all imposters. <laughs> they are. I mean, the, the Big 12 is probably the worst – not probably. It's the worst conference in, in, in college football. And I even was looking at it as I looked at – all right, there's – I think there's 21 undefeated teams left, right? And as you look at it, it really – the number of teams is – it's indicative of the strength of conference, right? The SEC has five. The Big 10 has four, tied with the ACC. And I would contend that the Big 10 this year is probably the worst we've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a cut above the ACC, but not by much. Yeah, And then you look at the Big 12 and Pac-12 have three, and then um, the group of five has two. And that's kind of where it is. They are pretenders because the conference just isn't as good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, one one other um, 
team that was surprisingly good was uh, Washington. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. is having a fantastic season. Um, I read, I, I, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I, I believe he's leading the FBS in total passing yards this season. Uh, but he's up there. I, he's having a fantastic year. They beat Stanford. Again, we don't really know how good Stanford is. But, I mean, I got to say, like, Washington looked like a solid football team. They look like they'll probably finish as a top 10 team. I mean, so he has a half a yard more per game than Mike Leach's quarterback, which by all accounts is like probably going to be a record in college football as much as Mike Leach throws the ball. <laughs> um, but but they're a team, honestly, that that when I look at them, it's like, all right, how legit is Washington? Like, we, we know what they did. They beat Kent State. They beat Portland State. They beat Michigan State handedly. They beat Stanford, right? And now you look at the rest of their schedule, they have to play. They, they really have the most cake schedule of anyone in the country. They have to go to UCLA, who is undefeated, but is completely fraudulent. Have you seen the I mean, attendance at these UCLA games, by the way? Oh, my gosh. It's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's like it's less than my high school by a lot. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's so they have to go to UCLA at the end of September here uh, this weekend. And then really the only game left on that schedule is going to be at Oregon uh, in I think it's November. Yeah, November 12th. Other than that, this team could, if they honestly, they'll beat UCLA. If they can beat Oregon, they're going to be 12 and 0 going into a, a Pac 12 championship game against probably USC with a playoff berth at bay. Yeah. 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 Again, against the USC that has probably the worst offensive line I've ever seen in my life. Like <laughs> this dude, Caleb Williams, first of all, I, I don't know who. I need to say this because this was very much on my mind. I don't know who makes the branding decisions at USC, but they need to change whoever that person is. The logos on the coaches' shirts are not the right font. It says USC Trojans in a different font from all of their branding. The jerseys don't have anyone's name. They look like they were bought off. You know those shops that print your print jerseys, custom jerseys for you that have these generic ass things they ordered from China. The overseas that's what shops. All their jerseys look like. I don't know who let Caleb Williams wear the arm sleeve he wore. Totally wrong colors. Looked old as shit. Like. What is going on, man? Like they look like a horrible program. The and the branding alone was embarrassing. I don't know who's doing that, but if you want to have a good program, maybe take some of the millions of dollars you gave this coach and put it into like one person who can do branding in the city of LA, which is like the center of this work. They just need to hire our, our, hire Sammy yeah, Silverman. He's a free agent right now. <laughs> He'll get him right. <laughs> he will definitely get him right. <laughs> But it's funny that the Pac-12 is interesting. I want to see Washington be good. I, it's a program that's cool. Their stadium is cool. The culture is cool. You know, um, it's a beautiful campus, beautiful everything over there. Who is their coach, Zach? I wasn't. Who is the new coach over there? I know they had Boise They're State's where? coach at Washington. Uh, that's a good question. I know the offensive coordinator came with Michael Penix or brought Michael Penix from Indiana. Um I don't know who it is. Let's look it up. Michael Penix is he's we always knew good. he was good. We always knew he was yeah. good, but he was he was doing a lot with a little at Indiana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Kalen true. DeBoer. Okay, I don't know much about him. It's interesting. Interesting. He's doing a great job, whatever he's doing. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. Doing, and speaking of uh, not oh, doing, no, such, he was the guy that was at Fresno State. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. So now, somebody okay, so who is also, um, I I had to call this out because we talked about it before. Georgia Tech just fired their coach. Thank fucking God. 
and the buzz on Dion is building. This is exactly what I was saying a couple weeks ago. We need this thing to happen. It would be fantastic. Dion in Atlanta would be unstoppable, and it would just make me so happy as as a semi alum. I'm gonna tell you who else would take a long hard look at that is your boy Urban Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if he's the right fit. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nebraska might be a better opportunity. Well, he ain't taking Nebraska, but you might. <laughs> you might do it. Arizona State would be interesting too for him. Get out there in yeah. his semi-retirement. Arizona State. State would be compelling. Yeah. Yeah. In his, his semi-retirement, he, he can't get in it unless he's going to win a national championship. If he can't compete at the highest level, he, he ain't getting in it. And I think Georgia Tech would be the one that has ne- has never really competed at that level that I think he yeah. would entertain. But other than that, he's going to wait for a place like A and M or somewhere like that yeah. to to come open before he will even consider it. Yeah. Maybe even Where's maybe the program he currently coaches base. Who Urban? No, no, no. Um, I'm talking about Dion. Oh, uh, to Mississippi Jackson State is in Mississippi. To Mississippi. Oh, yeah. word. Yeah, yeah, don't let Brett Favre anywhere near their budgets. <laughs> Georgia Tech would be interesting for DM because they're in the ACC, and he kind of has an extra grind with Florida State for not hiring him. But, uh, I mean, part that we know you're, 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 you've got pie-in-the-sky dreams right now, so we'll let you – We'll let you uh, let you entertain those and and hope for the best. I have Urban this, or Dion would be dream. a good good choice. Yeah, I have this dream. I can wear my Georgia Tech Georgia Tech stuff out in public a little bit more <laughs> outside of academia. I mean, in speak, you know who can't wear their stuff out in public right now is uh, anybody who's from the U. <laughs> when you lose to Middle Tennessee State. <laughs> Zach, you and I were trying to hype this train up a little bit. Obviously, it's year one. You're going to have some growing pains, but this is an inexcusable, inexcusable loss, even in a new year to lose to Middle Tennessee State like this, um, what we saw from Miami this past weekend. A lot of well, I, I will say that the Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator that went to Miami from Michigan, is just—he's fraudulent, is what it is. Yeah. And, and if you couldn't see that from his off-season antics, arguing with fans about who called the plays, arguing with fans about was it his offense, like you could just tell that that was that was a, a foundation built on sand. That he's just not a good offensive coordinator. And it's funny because I I did after he started uh, blaming the quarterback when they lost to Texas A and M, uh, I. I took the video and I put a breakdown on YouTube and Miami contacted YouTube and almost got my whole channel pulled down for copyright wow. infringement, despite the fact it was coaches film and no one has a copyright on the film. Wow. So th- this is, this is what this guy's worried about. Some YouTuber, me, some fire coach YouTuber, who's m- breaking down his video and showing how bad it is. He was worried <laughs> about that and not worried about middle Tennessee state. <laughs> <laughs> that literally is happening this last week. That happened just after, yeah, the, on Monday and Tuesday of last week. It's actually hilarious because you're also like you're advocating for their program as well, right. quite strongly. Right. <laughs> well, what's funny is I made the video and I was getting invited to every Miami Hurricane spaces on Twitter. Like they're like, "Bro, will you please come in here and tell everyone why Gaddis sucks." I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> So so much so that a, a, an offensive coordinator at, at a rival ACC school called me this week and was like, "Hey, what's this video everyone's talking about? You killing Gaddis?" 
I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is really making the circles. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, and this is the, the the funny thing, he's worried about the video, but the reality is you wouldn't have any film to talk about if he wasn't doing such a piss poor job, right? So either right, he which, can let- which is which- that was my point when he's arguing with fans. I was like, bro, these coaches need to learn. Shut up and do your job, and none of it matters. Like, everyone yeah. will see that your offense is great and you're brilliant. Like, just shut up and do your job. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to talk. People are going to talk. That's part of it. That's how you make yeah. your money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's point the lens forward um, to this coming week. A um, couple games I just wanted to highlight. We got Kentucky and Ole Miss. That's an interesting one. Um, Alabama, Arkansas. Uh, very interesting one. Um, obviously, we're playing Rutgers. I'm super excited. It's going to be a fun one to see. Uh, and then <laughs> NC State and Clemson, which is also quite a compelling one. And then also want to call out um, Oregon and Stanford. Stanford's been playing pretty well this year. And I'm, I'm well just curious year. to see how that one pans out as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you, I think you, you really have – Right now, you have Clemson is on upset alert. I think I think NC State. If the only issue I have is it's at Clemson, and, and that's going to elevate to some extent Clemson's performance. But I have Clemson on upset alert big time, and then Alabama I think gets by Arkansas. But I think this is all setting up the perfect storm that I called all off season. So I'm trying to make it like talk it into existence. They're going to keep getting worn down a little bit until they reach that Tennessee game and they drop that that upset <laughs> loss to Tennessee. So you want Arkansas to to take it to overtime, essentially, but also yeah, choke just, again and beat them up. Like Arkansas is a tough team. Beat up Alabama. Like set them up for the the knockout man. You know what I mean? Like a tag team. Like here comes Tennessee to end it. <laughs> here come the volunteers. Right. <laughs> we volunteered for to take down Alabama this year. <laughs> but uh, and then, there uh, are- I, I saw this one. Um, just gonna say Oklahoma State and Baylor's the other one that's a that's a tight matchup. So quite quite a few like really solid matchups this weekend. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good weekend of football, and we're 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 in that stretch now where every weekend you're gonna have five games that are pretty important. So I'm, I'm it's it's always week five, and it feels good to be here. <laughs> By the way, Partha, another person you should consider for that Georgia Tech job, I think. He's not going to have an NFL job at the end of the season. I've watched the first three games as Matt Rule. So you uh, you should be able to, From the to hire, hire him as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Georgia Tech, it's, it's a program that <laughs> it's has a land so, of much opportunity. <laughs> so much potential. Such amazing branding. They did a rebrand when I was there, and we went to, like, a nice dark blue from, like, the uh, – it's just like a different kind of color scheme. They use like kind of like a, a honeycomb kind of design on the jerseys back then, which was sick. I mean, George Tech, like as a brand, as as you know, an opportunity to be like a national presence, it has all the things going for it. Plus, it's so solid academically. Like, there's, I just think there's a beautiful story there that can be capitalized on the sports side. I felt like Here's- this for a while. And, you know, the previous president who I knew personally, he was very just obsessed with that football coach who just ran the option. And it was like, he's not, he wasn't, he was not like a sports guy. He was kind of a, kind of a different type of dude. But yeah. uh, the current president who came in has really like lifted the, the university in a significant way kind of across the board. So he definitely has a desire to win. And that's like, that's, that's as much a, a part of it as everything. So I don't know. I'm a obviously big Georgia tech fan. And here's, you know, here's the him. problem you have with Georgia tech, right? Like yeah. they had Jameer Gibbs, who's who is 
probably the best running back in college football this year. He transferred to Alabama. He transferred because, in part, that you know the exact specifics, but there's Georgia Tech has some requirement that everyone doesn't matter athlete, non athlete, doesn't matter who you are, you have to take like three high level calculus classes. Is that right? It's yeah, it's not easy. It's a tough right. school. It's a what, tough school. What kid that's either getting recruited by Georgia or that comes into Georgia Tech and it shows they're going to be an NFL player wants to hang around and take three high level calculus classes. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, you, no you're one. not you're not going to get those players. I'm just going to put that out there. But you will get Calvin Johnson's. You will like we had an amazing receiver room the whole era where we ran the option. There were is uh, Stephen Stephen Hill, I believe, went to the Jets, had a great career there. Um, Calvin Johnson. We had actually a series of years where our receivers who never got the ball got drafted I mean, Demarius, consistently Demarius and Thomas well in well. the NFL. Demarius, Demarius Thomas, Thomas, RIP. Yeah, but the issue the issue is there was no transfer portal back then. No. Yeah. No. If the transfer and, portal existed, Calvin Johnson would have been out of there so fast. Yeah, he would have been. <laughs> Let me uh. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, let me give you a little little background on the calculus courses at Georgia Tech. So there's four professors who teach calculus for freshmen. They're called the four horsemen because over 50% of the students who take their classes fail. And you're That's done. Georgia you're Tech. Out. It's like that. So, I mean, you just have to you have to get past that. This, the athletes have tutors and stuff, and, like, it's not that hard. But, like, if you have a, a desire to you know, use your brain as an athlete. Like it's, it's a good school. If you, if you don't, if you just want to go to the league and chill and yeah, but hire let, people let, to do your shit, like it's not your school. Arthur, you're, you're defending your school, but how many students actually need to take high level calculus beyond the first calculus course? It's just, it's just one of those. No, no, it's not, that, it's not need. It's, it's want. It's who yeah. wants that, right? Yeah. Who wants and, that? And the reality is if you well, want to have a good full, you can't have it both ways. If you want to have a good athletic program, you've got to eliminate some of these barriers to entry for the athletes. I understand, right. but every there are tons of strong academic schools. Like Stanford performs pretty well, and I, I love David Shaw as a coach. The fact that they're consistently good. Georgia Tech's not the only school that has that, but it's almost like, it's it's unnecessary. It's like one of those badges well, of honor. I'll tell you, they continue a, to work yeah, for a, no a reason. Culture thing at the, <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's a culture thing at the university because the average GPA at Stanford and all the Ivy Leagues is like a three eight, three nine, sometimes three six. At Georgia Tech, it's a two seven. It's just a difference in culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, on that note. Let's uh maybe we do a couple couple calls on these games. Let's um let's do our Ohio State Rutgers score prediction, and then which upsets do you guys want to uh, want to make call? We can just run through the whole list actually. So let's uh start with Ohio State Rutgers v. Where are we gonna be? <laughs> you know, I, don't, I think it's gonna be probably closer in the spread just because Greg Schiano has a way of making that team play a, like out of their mind against Ohio State because he's still mad about getting fired. Um, I don't know the spread, but I, I, I think it'll be a 21-point, maybe even a 28-point win. I'm sure they're favored by 30-plus. Um, but I see, I see Ohio State continuing to develop. And, you know, I, my biggest concern is when if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to play this year or if this is going to be another Nick Bosa situation. And, you know, if the secondary brings some guys back, they'll win handedly. Yeah, same, same, same vibe. I mean, you're right. Shiano has an axe to grind, and he is a good in-game coach specifically on the defensive side of the ball, so it will be close, and he knows 
he knows Ryan Day well, um, obviously from practice <laughs> against him. So, uh, and I think he got fired, like you said, Zach. So there's a lot going for uh, motivation on that side of the ball. And I do think that uh, Rutgers eventually under Shiano will be competitive again, like a top 20, top 25 program, just because of their location and the resources Rutgers has. Um, but this game is going to be a blowout. I think Ohio State's probably going to score in the 50-point range again and win by 21 or more. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. Um, I I hope we see a really strong defensive improvement this week. You know, I know we have starters out, but schematically, you know, from like a toughness standpoint, that's where I'd like to see see a focus from Ohio State. If we're able to hold them, you know, under 21, I'll be a happy camper. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's talk uh, Kentucky and Ole Miss. Well, Kentucky's fraudulent. I think Ole Miss beats them at home, and can, everyone can jump off the whole Kentucky train that they're going to be relevant this year. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got continu- Kentucky continuing on this uh, John Calipari revenge tour <laughs> that they're on. <laughs> they're winning because their basketball coach said they sucked. <laughs> and so I-, I have Kentucky pulling it out again. Um, but uh, I agree with Zach. I, do, I have not seen enough from Kentucky to say that they're anywhere near legitimate. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tight one. I'll probably pick Kentucky on this one. Um, I think that I I just don't I don't see them losing at home to Ole Miss and getting the upset, but we'll see. Um, let's shift over to the Alabama Arkansas game. We, I guess we already talked about that, so let's let's go past that to Clemson NC State. Yeah, this is this is my upset call of the week. I think NC State pulls this game out. I agree. Yeah, you I know. want that. I think I think NC State is another one of those programs. Every year is pretty good. You know, they're never great, but they always can pull off an upset or two and and end up with a decent record. Uh, and I think I think they have the recipe for for a win against Clemson as well. No bias there either. Yeah. As Larry David would say, pretty pretty good. <laughs> So yeah, I'll go. I'll go with you guys. I want Clemson to lose more than anything else right now. That would be well, fascinating. If if you look at it, NC State is is one of the most veteran teams in college football. They returned eighty one percent of their production from last year, which puts them in the top ten of returning production in the country. And they were a good football team last year. I just think they have the the veteran sense. It's almost like Michigan last year, right? They have just the veterans that have been around, kind of battle tested, and I think they just take a shot at a fraudulent team. Yeah. Well, awesome. I, I mean, we've hit kind of the key ones. We've talked about a lot of the upcoming matchups. This is going to be a fantastic weekend. Really excited to catch all these games. It's going to be interesting to see who emerges as, you know, the new crop of potential challengers to get into the playoff and to, to potentially upset some of the playoff um, favorites. So I think this is a very defining weekend for us where we're able to see the real skill level of some of these teams that have had a few easier games this year that have set themselves up to, you know, look look really well. We'll see who's who's really, you know, got it, got it going this weekend. Absolutely. We will learn more this weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Zach. We'll catch you next week and uh, you know, appreciate you as always. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thanks. 